This is Andy. And this is Chelsea. Welcome back to Hugging and Learning, the podcast on which we watch very special episodes from the past to see what they have to teach us today. Welcome to season three. Season three. Can you believe that we've made it this far? Don't call it a comeback. We've been here for two seasons. We've been here for two years. (laughs) Been here for one year. Mama said, knock your socks off. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) First fart sound. Jokes are are clearly getting better. Yeah. Um, Before we launch into our season opener, which is a real doozy. Choose your own podcast. Yeah. We made ourselves a promise. We sure did. In the season two bonus ode, we recapped our season two snacks and we thought we can do better. A solemn, vague promise. And Andy, you you went out of your way to Uh, pick this snack out. I did. I went... A few steps out of my way. <laughs> What'd you get us? Uh, I got us some Jaquette mm. Paris 1885 mm. Company Authentic Belgian Waffles. They now have sugar pearls yeah. on them. They have sugar pearls? Uh, guys, it's what you think. They're fucking little Belgian waffles that were in individually wrapped uh, packages yeah. and seem just expensive enough that they were fancy, but not so expensive that I scoffed and didn't buy them. Good. Um, I put a little chocolate sauce on them because they looked kind of naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we're going to try them out. talk about these Jack Jacquet Belgian waffles, which are non-GMO, made with free-range eggs, no artificial ingredients, and no preservatives. What is your review? <laughs> you just took a, just took a bite. giant mouthful of... Uh... <laughs> um, I thought to myself, eh, I don't think I got it all. Let me, uh, let me try one more bite. <laughs> and you launched into it. Yeah, just so-so, really. Yeah, I think for an individually wrapped pastry, mm-hmm. mass-produced... Good. Yes. For a Belgian waffle. Not good. Mediocre. <laughs> it, it tastes like nondescript bread. It's very, very bready. Yeah. Yeah, it tastes like it's trying to be a honey bun, but somebody forgot the honey, and the, it's just cakey. Yeah. It's a, it's a cakey bun. It's a cakey bun. <laughs> oh, cakey buns. <laughs> That's what I like to call you, I didn't want to hunk. I don't have, to, <laughs> I don't have to bring this up, but I have been to Belgium, and Eating waffles on the street in Belgium? Are you sure you don't want to bring that and up? And you, sir, are no Jane Goodall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I'm as loath to bring this up as you are to talk about having a motorcycle, but no. I have been to Belgium. Fucking checkmate on that one, bro. <laughs> Good call. I have a motorcycle, by the way. <laughs> Every time I'm on it, I feel like I'm in Belgium. <laughs> Is that where you bought it? <laughs> yeah. Is that what they say in Belgium? No. Da? No. It's yes, French. I'm, oh, we Jack, surrender. Jack. <laughs> America. 
All those World War II vets we're going to get letters from, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking all of them. They're big into podcasts. They love Joe Rogan. <laughs> Let's grade this. Oh, yeah. The, yeah I'm we, graded a C. We, yeah, I'm definitely a C. Great. So once we get a few of these more, uh, we're gonna we've decided that we're gonna grade our snacks. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm so sorry. It's on the back of this snack isn't good, but this is the Jeff Noble Memorial Snack Time Hour. Except he's still alive. Yes. If you'd like to unseat Jeff Noble, mm-hmm. all you need to do is send us a goddamn snack. Yep. Try to make it fancy this year. That's the theme. That's the theme. Not a recommendation. We will mention you if you recommend a snack and we try it. But if you want to take over as mm-hmm. the person who is the honorary snack time hour host. I don't feel like I need to mention all of the, you know, perks and accolades that Jeff Noble is getting just from these mentions. <laughs> right. I don't need to mention them. Our pod, our uh, post office box mailing address is on our website, huggingandlearning.com. Yeah. Um, and you can just ship us a little snacky poo. And if it looks appetizing or even if it looks weird, we'll give it a neat. We'll give it a review. And we'll give it a grade, and this year we're going to average it out. Um, All right, that's enough stalling. So we're off to a start. I think we have to to actually get into it. Today we're talking about The Cosby Show. You did not, do not adjust your radio dial. I waited for pipe organ and thunder sound. (laughs) We are going to talk about The Cosby Show. We have been putting it off, of course, it's a classic sitcom. It ran for a long time, and there are a lot of very special episodes, mm-hmm. and we have considered them many times they've come up in our discussions, and we've thought, well, nah. well, just sort of like, how do we justify yeah. talking about, how do we justify giving Bill Cosby, known rapist and predator, mm-hmm. our airtime? Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, let's, do the, let's do the facts of this episode, and then let's... let's We'll, yeah. we'll definitely have a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, this is, the episode title is No Way Baby. This is season five, episode 15. Or if you're on Amazon, it's episode 16. Who knows? I can't figure out your algorithms, TV. This premiered February 6, 1989. It was written by John Marcus, Cameron Finestra, and Gary Cott. And before we get into the troubling episode itself, let's do a quick, uh, you wrote what? Do it. Okay, this is not interesting from the standpoint of something, what a great way to do anything. Mm-hmm. Hey, this isn't interesting. This is not the usual like, hey, what an interesting thing they wrote, but more or less to showcase IMDB descriptions, which is my favorite thing. Uh, let's look at Carmen Finestra. He created two series. One of them called Soul Man, which is about a preacher, and mm-hmm. the other one's called Thunder Alley. So let me read the descriptions of these two to give you a real feeling of how IMDb describes things. This, this is, is who? Marcus? Uh, Cam- uh, Carmen Finestra. Carmen Finestra. That sounds like a woman's name. It's not, though. Oh. Take that, woman writers. Yeah, I thought we had a woman in the room. Sadly, no. That was my mistake, of that course. That was your room. That was your mistake. And your room. <laughs> Get a room of your zones. <laughs> nope. Virginia uh, Wolf humor on this podcast. <laughs> I'll just go stick my head in an oven. That's Sylvia Plath. I'll go misunderstand who Sylvia Plath is. A walk into the ocean. Walk into the ocean with rocks in my pocket. Nice. So the IMDb description for the series Soul Man is as such: Mike Weber is a widowed Episcopal priest who must cope with, among other things, his four children, his obstreperous 
parishioners in Royal Oak, Michigan, and a wet-behind-the-ears curate who happens to be the nephew of his bishop. Okay. I'm a grown man. I didn't understand, like, two or three of those (laughs) words. Okay. And so here is the description for Thunder Alley, another series that he wrote. Retired stock car racer Gil Jones is just settling into a second. I don't want to watch either of those. (laughs) One of those is not a whole sentence. (laughs) Just settling into a second. (sighs) Just give me a second. So one of them was written by an English professor. The other was written by somebody on heroin. (laughs) (laughs) Who just couldn't be bothered to finish. Oh, it was written by... So, so the Cosby Show ran for eight seasons, yeah. 197 episodes from 1984 Christ. to 1992, and it is kind of impossible to overstate the significance of this show at the time. Its popularity, the impact that it had, especially on African-American family viewers, uh, it's also impossible to separate it now from the absolutely horrific and inexcusable actions of its star and creator, Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not just an actor in the show. It's the Bill Cosby show. Yes. It, his DNA is in the show, you know? That's a horrible choice of words. Uh, but during its heyday, it was completely groundbreaking. The way that American pop culture interacted with the show and the way that its legacy sort of reverberates through television history and pop culture makes it very... It's been, it's been hard to avoid it. You know, yeah. it's been hard to keep circling around it and not feeling like we could talk about it. So here we are. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about it. I of had... course, it paved the way for TV shows like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and sure. even down to Blackish now. Obviously, you know? Different World and, and things like yeah. that, which were black American sitcoms. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I obviously am the less serious of us two. And I had an idea of how we can approach this while I was watching the opening credits for this okay because you mean the south pacific style (sighs) opening credits that came out of nowhere yeah what (laughs) there was a lot of this episode where i was going what because the theme song is iconic and i had it in my head as very very specific yeah and then it was suddenly this luau themed thing and i was like what is happening didn't it change throughout i feel like it morphed throughout the it did but it was mostly like jazzy yeah but when the opening credits came on when bill cosby's mug first gets on the screen i It felt completely insane. Uh, And I I just kept looking at everything through that lens. And I wrote down here, it's like I'm watching a sitcom starring Dracula. And everything is like, is this related to the blood sucking? Because we're a comedy podcast and we need to keep, we need to actually get through this and nothing's funny about this. Can we just refer to Cosby as a convicted Dracula? Well, the thing is, like, we're watching a character. We're still watching a character. I know, but if that character was played by a convicted Dracula. Sure. Let's say we give it a try. All right. And then at the end, we'll drop that and get back into, you know, the series. Dracula is a predator, and he does not ask for consent. Thank you. So, we'll go back. We'll go back. I'm willing to play this Dracula game with you. you. Thank you. Um, but so, I am yes. going to refer to Cliff Huxtable, the Absolutely. character, as Cliff Huxtable, Which is the totally character. fine. I'm just saying to uh, substitute in for parts where you cannot help but see William J. Cosby, Cosby the devil. Right. Um, Say convicted Dracula. Convicted Dracula. I'm okay with that. Okay. So, okay. for example, this uh, – this so there's a tropical theme – 
spirited episode to Sunnyset in bright colors, which is deeply ironic because it turned out Bill Cosby was a Dracula and mm-hmm. everything. Convicted Dracula. There you go. So all you need to know to get into the ordinary world of the Cosby show mm-hmm. for this episode is that Dr. Cliff Huxtable, played by convicted Dracula Bill Cosby, mm-hmm. is an OBGYN living and working in Brooklyn, and he, yeah, that's it. He's a baby doctor. He's that's got a it. wife. He's got kids. They live in a lovely brownstone, and that's what you need to know uh, as we open on his office. Here's all you need to know about my attitude about this episode is that I wrote down like 10 times, so this isn't very good, huh? It's real. Just to extract just the writing and try to crowbar separate it from everything else, Yeah, it's a really weakly written episode. It's just not very good. But I think it's important that we remember the difference between Dr. Cliff Huxtable, America's dad, yeah. and convicted Dracula Bill Cosby because convicted Dracula Bill Cosby would like you to forget that there is a separation there. Sure. When he was on trial, he did publicity stunts like bringing Keisha Knight Pull- yeah. Pulliam? Pullman? Pullian? Who played Rudy like to court with him. Yeah. To absolutely. remind you, hey, I'm America's dad. I have no trouble separating like how crappy written and acted and produced this specific episode. It, it's just a bad episode of television. Yeah, it truly is. Look, I've got my feelings about Bill Cosby and like. Yeah. I mean, his we're. Draculism. It's, it's going to be. I feel like we're going to take frequent pauses to kind of bring things to the surface as sure. they start coming up. I I've mean, got no trouble talking about how shitty of an episode this is, though. No, no, no. Oh, we're still going to rag on this episode because yeah. it's terribly written. But to quote the voice of our generation, Taylor Swift, this whole Cosby episode thing and trying to talk about it has got me in my feelings more than Drake, you know, because mm. there is a certain loss of innocence that goes along with burning down your nostalgia. I thought Zach Braff was the voice of our generation. He's a little older than I am. Maybe he's the voice of your generation. <laughs> well, he told me he was the voice of some generation in an interview with someone. Definitely the voice in your head, Andy. That's what you're asking. <laughs> That's what it is. What's that, Zach Braff? That's what it is. He agrees. So, so we open on Cliff's basement office? Yeah, he, is, he lives in the brownstone and the doctor's office in is in the basement. In a basement like a Dracula would. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ray Palomino comes into his office. Ray Palomino. Played by Sammy Davis Jr. Yep, absolutely. Rat Packer, National Treasure, you know, Jewish, actor. Jewish gentleman. Black and Jewish gentleman, actor, singer, dancer. One eye. He shows up and he has a little pork pie hat on. And fucking, you know how I fucking feel. I know about how you feel about pork pie hats. I know, I know you. Pork pie hats <laughs> are nature's way of warning us. It's a red flag. <laughs> this pork, I only bring it up. Knowing how much you hate it because oh, it's going to be important at the end of the Chekhov's episode. Chekhov's pork pie hat is <laughs> yes. here. <laughs> yes. So he comes in wearing Chekhov's pork pie hat and he says, <laughs> you wanted to see me. The people who take my messages said you wanted to see me. Yeah. So we get the idea he's kind of down on his luck, right? He doesn't have like a phone within his right. answering machine. He says, you're a baby doctor, right? Whatever any woman told you, it wasn't me. And it's like, no. cool. We're starting off on this uh, note. Cool, cool, cool. The, the, while there are, that is a, a honest-to-goodness sitcom joke. And while there are honest-to-goodness sitcom jokes, this scene, which goes on forever, by the way, (laughs) feels like it is a crappy one-act play performed by very capable third-year acting students. It's so... That's exactly what it feels like. It's like... But there are so many... It's full of melodrama. It doesn't mean anything. It's just... It's about a 
boxer but and there, a doctor. Oh my God. But there's so many moments where I'm like, oh, this is going to be about, nope, it's not. But what the gist of the thing is, and the call to adventure is, yeah. this man, Ray Palomino, is estranged from his family. He was a boxer. He traveled around, but he's been estranged from his family for a long time. But his granddaughter, Louisa, is one of Cliff's patients, and she's having a baby tonight. The father has disappeared, and Ray is the only family member that they could find to contact about this. Great. Dr. Cliff Huxtable says, Louisa is alone and frightened, and I'm just hoping you can give her some support. So yep. this is the call to adventure. Now, there's an immediate refusal of the call, because Ray is like, I'm 67 years old. He says that approximately 37 times yep. in this episode. He almost says it 67 times. I'm 67 years old. Um, he says, man brings me into his office and lays a baby on me. You can't go dropping bombs on people's it's heads a line like, that. like that. It's exactly a line like that you would see in a fight. Man <laughs> brings me into his office and lays a baby on me. <laughs> what am I supposed to do about that? You know, my dad once told me, just they would yeah. go on from there. Like that, I have, as, as a theater student, I've seen so many fucking like. Not just like a non sequitur. And now I'm going to, and so he, so he's like, yeah, I'm, uh, you can't do this. Can I, I want some coffee. Oh, okay. What are you taking? It's scotch. I don't keep, out, keep alcohol here. Well, get me a pill. You're a doctor. Something to calm me down. And so I'm like, oh, he's an alcoholic. No. Oh, he's nope. scamming he's for a pill. Uh, no. Uh, no. Oh. no. No, that's not worth it. Here's, here's huh. where a bit of the confusion comes in, is that you find out after this scene, during which Sammy Davis Jr. is, you know, reasonably charming, yeah. if not a little surprised Chewing to find out. Chewing the scenery out. a little bit. Yeah, he's definitely going for it here and he and Bill Cosby are not acting well together at all. They seem to be in two different planes of existence. <laughs> One of them, the underworld where Bill Cosby <laughs> resigns convicted Dracula. Uh, it's also, we find out after this scene that we're supposed to fucking hate Ray Palomino, that he is yes. a grumpy piece of shit bastard. And I'm like, no man, no, he seems man, hard to I me. I that. He, and Cliff, immediately doesn't like him and he's going to tell everybody how much he doesn't like him and I keep missing the part where I'm supposed to not like him as well I mean it's, maybe it's because he doesn't want to take responsibility for this baby except that except not. that he never says that like no he doesn't he there's this the uh, next the, scene he's there's so show many up. leaps in judgment yeah. so so you think it's gonna okay I mean I'm trying to articulate this yeah Man calls me in his office lays a baby on me. You think, okay, here's a man who's estranged from his family. Maybe he ran out on his own kids. Yeah. Maybe this is his chance to redeem himself. And, and um, Cliff Huxtable, moral authority and family man, is going to bring him around to his second chance to do right by yeah. his progeny. You know, no, it's not that. He immediately goes to the hospital as soon as he finds out about this and sticks around until she has the baby. He's a fucking down-on-his-luck boxer who at one point spent 10 years in Cuba. And I'm like, great, there's something. Like, did he did he take a fall? Did he, yeah. did he fucking... Did he defect to fucking Cuba? Is there something wrong with this guy other than Cliff Huxtable doesn't care for him? No. And it doesn't help that it's played by Sammy Davis Jr., who is a charming man. Right. Or maybe he's doesn't... charming superficially and he's like, yeah, I'll be there. And then he doesn't show up and Cliff yeah. has to go find him. None of that happens. As soon as he finds out about the baby, he kind of freaks out, understandably, a yeah. little bit about it. He's like, oh, I wasn't prepared for this. But then he shows up every step of the way like he's supposed to show up. And still Cliff's like, "Ma, what a jerk. And, and, and I'm and like, what? It seems the only thing that he does that Cliff really bothers him about is he goes up to Cliff and he very intensely goes, hey, don't fuck this up because this is important to me. Which, 
you're a baby doctor. You've yeah. never seen somebody <laughs> right. who's a little stressed out. When a when a woman is in labor, you know, people seem a little on edge. The refusal of the call is kind of surface. He's, you mm. know, he gets upset, but then when Cliff asks for his home address and phone number, he gives it to him. And the address he gives is actually the studio address where the episode was filmed. Wow. A little bit of trivia. Very cool. But instead of writing it down, he says to Cliff kind of gruffly, you can read your own writing. Here, here's what it is. And he dictates yeah. the address and phone number to him. Here's the problem with this. And maybe it's it's me as an insensitive person. The address is all numbers. Shouldn't that be kind of an okay? Can you write numbers? Illiterate? Mm. Mm. No, I guess that's my question. Can you write yeah. numbers if you're illiterate? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, no, you're right because it's... It would help if it was like 36 West Calabasas Street. Then I'd be like, well, I, yeah, I don't think I, I can spell. spell that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so we get like the inkling that something's amiss because he's very forcefully like, you write it down. Yeah. Um, and, and we're then- also on the lookout for anything to care about in this episode. Right. Also, no one says to him ever, no one articulates, I guess no one is is Cliff, what is expected. So, because he says, what am I supposed to do with this information? You know, the father's gone, you're her only family. But then he doesn't say, we expect you to take this baby home and raise it once it's born. He mentioned something about, like, I've got a five-floor walk-up. Yeah, I can't do that with a baby. And, I'm like, and I was like, who asked you to... not have to. But man. who asked you? Yeah, who? I assume she lives somewhere. You're just being asked to come by the hospital and show a little family support She's when she delivers. She's scared about delivering a baby. Yeah, and so he kind Man of agrees to that. brings me into an office and lays a lays baby, a baby on, on me. me. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not studying no baby. That's like, August Wilson. <laughs> nobody asked you to raise this baby. I missed the line where someone said, and now you have to raise the baby because you took the bait and showed up at this office. <laughs> that's uh, the law. Uh, yeah, it's legally binding office visits. <laughs> right. So, but that's now how everyone's acting without yeah. anyone ever saying it. Everyone's now acting like if he comes to the hospital, we got him. He's, <laughs> bu- he's buying into raising this baby and taking in his estranged granddaughter that he sure. hasn't seen since she was a tiny child. Yeah, I guess so. But again, this is just a long, melodramatic scene that doesn't go anywhere, doesn't mean anything, isn't particularly funny, isn't particularly well acted, and one of the people is played by um, uh, a convicted, convicted Dracula. Dracula. Yeah, so we have a call to adventure that's poorly articulated. Mm-hmm. We have a refusal of the call that's just for show. That's that, where we are. Yeah. The, it's a call to adventure that, you know, the people who take his messages pick up and, right. you know, write down for him. And, and yeah. Wait, how did he read that? Uh, oh. So they must dick, They must tell they him. They must tell him what it is. Yeah. Okay. So. We're not very good at <laughs> figuring out how illiterate people work. No. And I will tell you, sadly, uh, I fell down on the job. I didn't do any research about illiteracy because all, all I did was research about convicted Dracula Bill Cosby. <laughs> You're going to have a, a tough time dealing with the point that this episode doesn't make then. <laughs> right. So scene so, two takes place at the hospital in Louise's room. Yes. We have crossed the first threshold into the special world of the hospital. And to Cliff Huxtable is, is, has just finished examining Louisa and he says, tonight, sometime tonight, like a Dracula would. <laughs> um, Louisa is played by a beautiful actor, Letitia Herrera. She's so beautiful that I had to do a Google search for Letitia Herrera and vampirism and there were no results. Oh, good. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. good. I'm, I, if I was the only person who thought that, I was like, God, she's absolutely gorgeous. Quick. Check. Yeah. Fine. She's young. This is probably her first job in Hollywood. That seems to be the type that convicted Dracula Bill Crosby preyed on. Yeah. You know. 
So Ray is there. Yeah, Ray comes with flowers, and the nurse shows him into Louisa's room. And the special world is this world where these two lonely people have a family. And he's very moved because he sees her and he says, you look just like your grandmother. You would have been his his wife. Yeah. You're so beautiful. This is when he gets all concerned. And he turns to Cliff Huxtable and says, you better know what you're doing, Doc, which is totally justified. Yeah. That's justified. You better justified. know what you're doing. Also, he takes off his pork pie hat right away, which means he knows, he knows. it's inappropriate it's to have a pork pie hat It's going to scare a pregnant woman. Yeah. yeah. It's early labor. Hormones are high. You're yeah. on your, like, your guard. Yeah. Your instincts are kicking in. You're going to know. Pork pie hat. Yeah. Fight or flight. <laughs> um, when Ray enters the room, he IDs himself and she says, Grandpa, and they hug and she cries. And it's very, it's a very moving moment. Or it would be if we cared about any of these people or they had been developed in any way. Although Ray, I will say the one thing I found obnoxious about Ray is that he explains things to people who don't need it explained. Like he's like, hey, Dr. Huxpool, I know I don't look like her, but she looks like her grandmother and her mother. And I'm like, yeah, dude, he is a birth doctor. He yeah, understands, he understands genetics. Of genetics. Yeah, because the, the actress is Hispanic, yeah. Latina, and mm-hmm. uh, Sammy Davis Jr. is black. And yeah. so... He's just, also, it's been two generations. Yeah. A lot, also, a lot of things could have happened. And then he explains to this beautiful woman, you're beautiful. And it's like, yeah, she probably knows. Mm-hmm. She probably got mm-hmm. it. Yep. That's what my agent says. She's not, not pregnant, dude. So something <laughs> went on. Oh, right. no. God. So after a commercial, Ray comes out of the room and Cliff asks if he's okay. And he says, I haven't seen a member of my family in 18 years. And he seems overwhelmed, but happy. And I was like, this is the point where he bolts and doesn't come back. And yeah. Cliff has to go find, nope, none no, of that. No. None of that. He's, he's perfectly delightful to a nurse, if not in this scene earlier. Yep. He's, he's charming and witty. I just, I can't hate this dude. No, it's so, and he says he hopes the baby is a girl, and Cliff says, well, yeah, nowadays you just order and we just give you what you ask for. It is very nearly a joke. And and then that's the whole interaction. And then we cut to the Cliff, we cut to the Huxtable household where Cliff is just making fun of him and talking shit about him to Claire, his wife, national treasure, Felish Rashad. Well, all right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, First of all, he's, he's bitching about Ray before he knows, before they've discussed uh, the fact that Ray is illiterate, which is, spoiler alert, the main point of this. Yeah, did you think anything else was going to, something else was happening in this episode? This is a special episode about illiteracy, yeah. adult illiteracy, I guess. Maybe we could have spent more time on that instead of everything else. Yep, nope. Uh, We're just getting to it now. He makes fun of him, and then Claire is like, hey, um, we had a guy where I worked... We had a client who would make us read forms or like he would tell us he didn't need to sign things. It was because he was illiterate. And, and he was very defensive and he was very cranky. And this was all to cover up that he was illiterate. Sure. And so even with that knowledge delivered by an angel. Yeah. <laughs> very Huxtable, well spelled out. Yeah. Very logically spelled out. Cliff Huxtable's still like, well, fuck that guy, though. No, she's like that man. can. He's like that man can read and write. He's just cranky and mean and I'm I'm going he's not A he's not though and B she's telling you if he's defensive and he seems a little bit on edge it's because he's trying to cover up this thing sure. so like maybe you could have a tiny bit of compassion seeing maybe as you're you a just, doctor yeah maybe you could just start with the compassion and then work your way into being a piece of shit from there. <laughs> anyway, Ray, she, Ray comes over. Yeah, and she says, it must be terrifying to consider, to yeah. face the idea of raising a child all of a sudden in your late 60s when you can't read or write. And Cliff's like, nah, he's just nasty is all. And mm. I'm like, 
A, he's not, and B, if he were, she just told you why he would justify yeah, he would be justified in acting out. Yeah. What is this exchange? Dear listener, I hope you appreciated the single second of empathy we had in this episode, because it is gone now, and we will never see it again. It was based on Felicia Rashad. It was. The entire thing is I just... I bet she was like, I'm going to rewrite this script I'm so that... I'm just going to make this what humans would say if they liked other people. <laughs> what non-Draculas might say. Yes. So Ray shows up at the door, dressed very nicely, and he he pays Claire this extraordinary, braggy compliment. He's like, I used to frequent this cafe in Paris. And you know, nobody all, likes anybody who brings up where they've been. He's so. wearing a pork pie hat. Um, <laughs> and he says that she, that Josephine Baker used to come into this cafe mm. and Claire would have fit right in there. Absolutely. And Claire is like, yeah, okay, keep talking. Cool. This is great. And Cliff is, Cliff is <laughs> looking am, at him sideways. I am married to a man who's angry at you for no reason. <laughs> right. I don't remember what compliments feel like. <laughs> Please go ahead. Of course, Cliff is just rolling his eyes and looking at Ray sideways and Ray has come over because he has written down a list of the names of other family members for the social worker, which is something right. that Cliff asked him to do. And Cliff shoots Clara look like, Hey, he wrote down a list. This proves that you're wrong and he's literate and he's just a jerk. Yeah. And so Claire takes the list and looks at it. And this next little exchange is the whole reason you wanted to do this Lord, it episode. Is, it is not great. <laughs> so this is when Claire proves that Ray Palomino cannot read. She says, Oh, what's this person's name? And he's like, my, I seem to have forgotten my glasses. And she, he's, she says, looks like Tom Simmons. And he's like, it is Tom Simmons. And she says, is that Tom spelled with one A or two A's? And he says, two. And the audience, oh, that would be two. And the audience laughs. Boy, oh boy. And Cliff's nose, he's to been bested. the band. They laugh at this illiterate man. Oh, yes. Hilarious. Hilarious. And then Ray leaves and Claire declares the case of his literacy is closed. He, uh, he's, before he leaves, he says, you're a lucky man. Ray Palomino says to Cliff Huxtable, you're a lucky man, emphasis on lucky, which means the emphasis is not on man. Ray Palomino knows Cliff is a Dracula. <laughs> just joking, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. He's a fucking, Cosby's a monster. No, at this point, only women, I think, knew, knew Bill Cosby was a Dracula. It's true. Um, so later that night, Denise is doing homework. Their daughter, Denise, is doing homework. She's mm-hmm. a teenager. Younger daughter, Rudy the comic relief and sort of like precocious moral center of the family comes downstairs and says, you are learning this for no reason. That Ray guy that's been hanging around all day is 67. He can't read or write and he's gone through his life just fine. So we're wasting our time. And Denise says to Rudy, what kind of job are you going to get if you stop learning now? What kind of job are you going to get with a fourth grade education? And Rudy very logically replies, I teach third grade. That's pretty. Holds water. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sound kid logic. It's like if I'm teaching piano, I'm just going to stay one lesson ahead of them. Yep. I didn't pay attention to this scene. Instead, I wrote different titles for uh, <laughs> <laughs> for a movie about a boxer, a uh, very special episode of a boxer. Boxes of Dracula. Uh, so here are the movies that I, I came up with that would best describe uh, this episode. Raging Bullshit. Okay. Rockish. Okay. All right. You're not going to like this last one then. Requiem for a heavy-handed episode. It's not my uh, fault you weren't paying attention to the scene of the show we were actually watching. All I know watching. is, like, the, the scene is, hey, I bet the kids can be pieces of shit, too. And they were right. It's it's so it's such a shoehorned thing that it makes me wonder if they were like, well, we can't have just four characters in this episode. we yeah. got to have at least two of the kids have a bit. 
It's just also this episode seems to take place over the span of like five or seven hours. Yeah, it's a very it's a it's a bottle it's a bottle episode. It happens mostly at the hospital. Everything's the worst. So we're back at the hospital, and Nurse Gilmore tells Cliff as he goes into Luis's room that Ray is there waiting in the lounge for the delivery to happen, and the social worker wasn't able to locate any of the other family members on the list that Ray made. And that's right. the whole little exchange. And oh, and she likes uh, Ray Palomino, and he hates Ray Palomino. <laughs> so we're now approaching the inmost cave, which is the hospital lounge. Ray strikes up a conversation with a human turtle. Who <laughs> <laughs> I wrote... I wrote that in the waiting room, Ray meets a cartoon voice wearing a human suit, like <laughs> like Hanna Barbera presents Silence of the Lambs. I get the joke. <laughs> this man is the voice that you do when you're imitating your dog. <laughs> He is 100% the goofy cartoon voice you ascribe to your dog's inner thoughts. And he looks like a turtle. He really does. Um, and he, there's a moment of hilarity when Reyes oh, says Lord. again, I'm 67 years old. What am I going to do with a baby? There's a baby in there. And the guy's like, You're, it's your baby? And he basically says, yeah. And then they go back and forth. And he says, how old's the mother? I'm sorry, She's I'm sorry, 20. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You, when you imitate this guy, you need to do your Boudin voice. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it and not ascribe it to Just pretend Boudin's doing the scene. He says, I'm 67. You know, what am I going to do with a baby? I can't do it. You're overthinking it. He's like, how old's the mother? That's not it at all. It's not worth going into because we have a lot to talk about. But it really is. I can't do it. So... He <laughs> <laughs> Human Turtle Man has assumed that Ray Palomino is the father of this twenty-year-old woman's forthcoming yeah. baby. It's and there's joking. There's jokes about joke. that. It's clearly very nearly yeah. a joke. And then he says, the 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 cartoon voice says, "Who do you think you are, Ferdinand the Bull?" Which is not <laughs> what that is about, unless there's a sequel where Ferdinand goes on full on fucking people <laughs> it's about they, a bull who sniffs flowers it's true. and that's it but it makes sammy davis jr laugh like there's a moment where it's <laughs> no, you're right. it's clear that he is broken character and he's laughing okay. at this man's voice or delivery or something um so then we have the supreme ordeal yep we're here already uh there's been no conflict thus far Yep. In this entire episode. I feel like uh, I need to bring this up because I say this every time, but this time I really mean it. This whole episode's been the supreme ordeal. Yeah, for us. So T-shirts coming soon. Cliff comes in and says, the baby's a boy. And Ray takes him aside and is like, and you think, oh, we're actually going to have some, something's going to happen here. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Think Spoiler again. alert. Ray takes him aside and says, I'm a lot smarter than you think I am. You're educated, but I got street smarts. I know that you and your wife found out I can't read. But I don't care. It's no big thing. He turns around and tells the whole entire waiting room he's illiterate. And I, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? What is the, what are we, because it makes sense. He's like, I'm almost fucking 70. Who cares? I made it this far and I can't read. And but I'm like, this is the moment where Cliff turns to him and says, you want to take responsibility for this baby. You can't even read the discharge forms for this hospital. Did he say that? No, he should have. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, he he's like, I don't care, literacy, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but, but, but like, you're about to I try guess to. You're right. But you're about to try to raise a baby. Like, yeah. This is this is another moment where you can l- turn this man and be like, 
yes, thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting her. If you want to be part of their lives, you got to you gotta stop coasting. Yeah. You got to put yourself out there and do something that you don't want to do that makes you feel kind of vulnerable and, and learn to read because if you're going to help, don't do it for yourself. If you don't care, do it for the baby. Maybe you, know? maybe you include that message, but you certainly don't include it on the back of like, I'm illiterate, but I am still a human being. Because what am I going to disagree with that? He doesn't even say I'm still a human but he being. Is, that's his implication by, by saying, I don't care. You think that I'm just an illiterate person. I'm a person for God's sake. And that's the that's like the empowering moment for that character. I guess, You're, but I no, didn't no, no. get that read on that exchange at all. I'm just saying, well, the the way it falls flat after that is like Cliff Huxtable's like, yeah, hey, I guess you're right. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have made fun of you. Or yeah, you're right. I guess you don't care. Bye. But it should be something like, hey, I'm sorry you can't read. There are many resources out there. You don't right. have to strike up a deal with a fucking stranger in a waiting room. Right, but also he who's doesn't... a vexed parrot in a man seat. <laughs> he also doesn't but he doesn't even he doesn't even put up a fight. Cliff's not even like Yeah. Oh, it's which it, means that Sammy Davis. It's not Jr. even a secret. Yeah, it's not even a secret shame. He's just like this is a thing about me that I don't even care about, and I'm like, well, then why do I care? That's exactly it. That's what I'm saying. Is like Sammy Davis Jr. is saying, "Hey, man, this isn't a big deal." And Bill Cosby goes, "I guess you're right. We were wrong to judge you by your illiteracy." And then it's like, "Okay, but he, man." But that's... they barely made fun of his illiteracy. They. He didn't like him because he said he was mean. Yes, exactly. And they've got this weird humanizing moment where Sammy Davis Jr. wins the episode and then goes on to learn. I'm agreeing with you that he shouldn't have. He should have been like, hey, I'm scared. I can't read. Yes. Uh, That's not all that I am, but I've made it through my life. Now I have a responsibility to another human being. What am I going to do? And Bill Cosby can be like, here's some resources. Yeah. Instead, what happens is apparently the thing that has been the big secret and the big engine for this whole episode, we're not supposed to care about it anymore. It doesn't fucking matter. I think and not only Cliff Huxtable has a line, he just kind of shrugs and he's yeah, like, Yeah, he's like, okay, great, half an hour. You can see them in half an hour. So then the human turtle turns out to be a retired English teacher who offers to teach Ray how to read, which, honestly, this part of the story I actually kind of believe because they're two older, lonely guys and they seem to have hit it off. And I, yeah. I buy that they'd start hanging out. Sure. So there's no really coming back from this nonsense but cliff does go home to claire the reward consequences piece of it is is maybe the most problem problematic part of this entire episode i'm gonna go out on a limb because it's not poorly written it's truly insensitive so yeah, he, no no this is this is the worst when we're supposed to as the audience have learned something if anything if nothing at all then we go back to the 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 protagonist of the episode yeah and they're pieces of shit again yeah cliff's Cliff's like, yeah, it went wonderfully. He's a great guy. He gave me this present, and, and he opens it in front of Claire, and it's a pork pie hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's his own hat, Mr. Palomino's. Maybe it's one exactly maybe like it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what we're going to get from this episode. He's like, I'm not a horrible monster anymore. I need to give this hat to somebody who really is. <laughs> so Cliff puts it on his head and proceeds then... First of all, he hates it. He doesn't want to put it on. Claire tells him to put it on. He puts it on and proceeds to make fun of how Sammy Davis Jr. walks, talks, moves his head, Uh and his illiteracy. And Claire is just laughing. And this is... Sammy Davis Jr. was so famous at this point in time that his mannerisms were iconic. This feels like Bill Cosby convicted Dracula 
making fun of Sammy Davis Jr. Really does. In a bit bit of an episode tag for the audience that has nothing to do with the plot. It really, yeah. It's It's like, look at at me doing my Sammy Davis Jr. impression. Mm -hmm. Me, a comedian. Like, he pulls his arms into, like, into his coat to make fun of how short Sammy Davis Jr. is. He slumps his, his body over. Um, and then, yeah, he's like, my name is Ray Palomino, spelled with 17 Zs. And it's like, fuck you, dude. Yeah, and he's, like, waggling what his head, and he's, like, doing shit. this little walk. And then he starts hitting on his wife in the persona of Ray yeah. and chases her up the stairs, which Gen- is gently chases her upstairs, very... Yeah. I mean, this is a way they end several episodes, many episodes, to indicate that their marriage is still strong and they have an active sex life. But when you know that this actor is a convicted Dracula, yeah, you're it like, takes uh-oh. on a whole different tone. And you're He's like, going to change into a bat like right when he gets to way, the top Claire. of the steps. So that's the episode. So we need to drop the convicted Dracula thing and yeah. get back to how horrible Bill Cosby is as a human being. So this episode is bad this in is, terms of... It's not good. It's The structure of it is it just falls flat. There's just no conflict for the entire episode. And then the lesson, it's like as if... In the Jesse Spano is on speed thing, mm-hmm. she got to the end and everyone was like, you're on pills? And she was like, yeah, I don't care. And everyone was like, well, I guess we don't care either. Cool. Keep taking them. Should we buy you pills for your birthday? <laughs> like if you admit that you like cows and then everybody buys you cows oh, all yeah, the time. Oh, yeah, that happens. What do you get Jesse for her birthday? Pills, I guess. She was oh, into yeah, them for a while. Pills. Of course, I had a lot of feelings about trying to watch the Cosby show because I grew up with this Same. show. Same. It was a, the, definitely a family viewing thing for our family. We didn't have a lot of shows we watched like that. I thought to myself, this feels icky and problematic to me, and I'm a white person. Yeah. I know that this is a completely different analogous but different experience for a black viewer who grew up who's my age who grew up with this show luckily there were no shortage of op-eds and articles written by black media critics when this was all unfolding 2016 2017 when bill cosby was being arraigned and tried and all these things so there's an amazing article which of course i'll post the link to an article by zeba blay which was written in 2017 for huffington post black voices the title of it is I rewatched the Cosby show and it was brutal. Mm. And this is a woman who is a media critic and she has rewatched the Cosby show. She used to do it every year, rewatch the entire series. And then she didn't after he got arrested because it made her feel icky, but mm. she decided to re- watch her two favorite episodes and then write this article about what it was like to watch it now knowing everything we know. Yeah. It was very interesting she talked about not just the feelings, but what it means in the greater landscape of black media and and black family life in America. And she says, by refusing to watch something I had once loved, I was protecting my own nostalgia. Nostalgia is a powerful thing. It shapes identity, distorts memory, and sits precariously at the intersection of the bitter and the sweet. There's so much weight in this show, its legacy, its cultural impact, and the impact it had on me as an individual. For me, like so many other black people who grew up with the show, either during its original run or through reruns, the Huxtables weren't just a collection of colorful, fictional characters. They were something closer to family. Mixed in with all that familiarity was, as expected, a feeling of unease and uncertainty whenever Cliff Huxtable was on screen. His knowing smile, his playful teasing, and his witty one-liners all felt disjointed and out of place, maybe even a little sinister. It was fascinating because nothing has changed about the show, but everything has changed. Hmm. And she says, 
that there's been a lot of talk about whether or not you believe, in quotes, that Bill Cosby is a rapist, 60 women. Mm-hmm. People should be able to separate the man from the character and the legacy of the show. This is an argument that people make, especially because they're like, we don't have, you know, we don't, we have a double standard for people like Woody Allen, where people are more than willing to just, oh, of course, I don't think that's true anymore either. I think Woody Allen's pretty much been painted with the same brush at this point as Bill Cosby. But in 2016, there was this argument of like, well, it's because he's black. You're willing to let other people get away with this kind of bullshit. But mm. because he's black, you got to tear him down. And you can't, you can't separate the man from the art. You can't sep- you can, you can like the show and not like the man. And she says that part of her wanted to make this distinction, but Bill Cosby doesn't let you make that distinction. Yeah, that's a good point. Because he is trying to paint himself as Cliff Huxtable, America's dad, through his trial and arraignment and his public persona while he was on trial. He was trying to remind everybody like, hey, I'm not a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm not even the guy from the shitty 70s movies I made where I was sleazy and creepy. I am Cliff Huxtable. You can't believe these women. Right. And so she says, I wish I could separate them, but Bill Cosby himself won't let me. In fact, a sealed record of one of Bill Cosby's trials was open because a judge ruled that because he put himself in the public realm, mm-hmm. uh, when criticizing people and uh, presenting himself as a moral authority, yes. Bill Cosby put himself in the public realm to receive the same criticism and so allowed some testimony from a previous trial into his trial. It just just as far as uh, what you're saying, a judge somewhere agreed on this too. I'm sorry I'm not articulating this better. It's no, no, been no, a no. while and I'm trying to... Because he did I, you set don't follow himself this up. Thing anymore. It's just... In between the end of the show and the beginning of the trial, yeah. brouhaha, he did set himself up as sort of a cantankerous moral authority and, and told black people they were their own worst enemies because yep. of their quote ghetto names and baggy pants and, yeah, and um, cussing and fussing and flim flarns. Yes. And there like was that. a lot of eye rolling and being like, well, you get old, you get curmudgeonly, you know, that kind yeah. of a thing. But, and that you know. was sort of acceptable. Like you can get to a, you can get to a part where you accept that he's become curmudgeonly mm-hmm. serial rapist and predator is a whole other yeah. thing. She goes on to land the article in this really amazing way, which is letting go of the Cosby show means letting go of Bill Cosby as we knew him. And that's scary. It feels like a loss of innocence. The innocence lost from the Cosby show scandal strangely dovetails with the innocence lost surrounding the idea of the black American dream, something we have tightly clung to. The Cosby show exemplified the idea that black people could be good, relatable people if they were respectable enough. And today, in the age of Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Ferguson, it's clear that even respectability has very little to do with the way black people are perceived and treated. Indeed, it's completely irrelevant, and in that sense, the Cosby show is completely irrelevant. It feels almost heretical to make that declaration, but she says that like watching the Cosby show now doesn't give you the same feeling as watching the Cosby show Mm -hmm. in 1984, not just because of what we know now about Bill Cosby serial rapist and predator, but because of the America that we live in. Um, And she said it is and was a great sitcom and watching the Cosby show doesn't make you a bad person, but using the Cosby show to defend Bill Cosby does. It does. It always feels like we lose something when somebody in a respectable moral or 
groundbreaking, you know, somebody pushes the limit or, yeah. or you know, uh, ends a certain form of racism or hate or something like that. When somebody is held up to be flawed, deeply flawed, or right. a monster in this case. Yeah. And in fact, that's what, what got Bill Cosby in trouble, not just in that case, but this was in part kicked off uh, by a by comedy routine. Here's what he said that kicked this whole thing off. Bill Cosby has the fucking smuggest old man public old black man public persona that I hate. He gets on TV, pull your pants up, black people. I was on TV in the 80s. I can talk down to you because I had a successful sitcom. And then goes on to mention that Bill Cosby is a rapist. It's And then the audience, I've seen the clip, the audience is like, oh, and he's like, like, fucking Google he's it. Like, Google that shit. People have been accusing him for years. And it's, it's kind of amazing that I was just talking about that with Miles this morning, actually, that it was like, that was the thing that that yeah. was the spark that lit the powder keg. Absolutely. And women started coming forward. And then finally some women came forward for whom the statute of limitations had not expired, which Absolutely. is bullshit. Um, but it was, it was like this thing that everyone kind of knew. Yeah. It was like there was gasoline vapors in the air it was and this Hannibal Burris thing lit a match Absolutely. and it finally went up. Yeah. And I think that it may be oversimplified. It also may not be my place to say it. It is, important to understand that nothing should take the place of actual consequence for wrongdoing. Right. We need to have concepts that supersede those individuals. If we have set up these people as the moral authority, that's on us. If we've set up famous people as being like the icons for moral authority, then we are we are making our arguments flimsy. Yes. There's another. There's a New York Times article written by Wesley Morris in 2017, which I'll also link to. He's another black media writer. He says that if achieving success in this country is twice as hard for black people, it's also doubly tough for black people to flunk their own. Hmm. Individual guilt or the appearance of it is weighted against so many centuries of national blame and racial injustice against the ways the legal system and law enforcement disserve black people. This is a symbolism Mr. Cosby surely understands. Mm. He knows what his work means. He knows in the minds of his black supporters what his trial represented. But what was disheartening during Mr. Cosby's trial was what he chose to do with his work. He weaponized it. Yeah. So, and entertainment is its own thing. So if it turns out that, like, Jonas Salk, Mm -hmm. who invented penicillin or found, you know, found and discovered penicillin, Turned out to have been a monster. You can be like, well, yeah, but we're still going to use penicillin because we fucking need penicillin. The Cosby show, we don't actually need to live. No. And the ways that it paved for shows like The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air all the way down to Blackish, that way is still paved. It is Whether or not Bill Cosby rots and dies in jail, which it seems like he will, those shows still have had the way paved for them as hard as it is to look back and, and... uproot and burn our own sense of nostalgia over these things. We can't separate him from the work, but maybe we can separate the work from the good that it did for others in the industry. Absolutely. Maybe. Uh, And because I solve everything uh, via television, I will point people to an episode of the Carmichael show season two, episode two. It's a little rough, but it handles the idea of the generational gap between people our age and our parents and how they see Bill Cosby. Uh, The Mm. description of the episode is this. um, 
Gerard's girlfriend, Maxine. When Maxine re- rejects Gerard's invitation to a Bill Cosby concert, Gerard offers the tickets to his parents as an anniversary gift, and the family is divided on whether or not you can appreciate entertainment free from scandals surrounding the entertainer. Hmm. It's a good discussion of that. It's a little bit behind the, oh, he's now convicted and going to jail. When those right. conv- when the accusations were coming out, he went on a fucking tour. Yeah. Because he was appealing to the court of public opinion. Yes. The and idea was like... specifically people who don't believe, that that hold nostalgia up as the, you know... Yes. Um, in that same New York Times article, uh, Wesley Morris says that Cosby declined to take the stand in his own defense, yet mm. he tried to make statements in the court of public opinion. Hence his barking on his way out of the courthouse one day, the famous, hey, 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 catchphrase yeah. from the Good Morning cartoon Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, and also Ms. Knight Pulliam's dismaying deployment, seemingly, as an instrument of stratagem. And he's, like, posting pictures, or someone is, on his Twitter with her and being like, thanks for coming to court today, which is just, when you watch this episode of The Cosby Show, and she's running around talking about how she's going to teach third grade, and Mm -hmm. then you juxtapose that with the pictures of them in the court at his rape trial, you're kind of like... What in what world? But the thing that is, I feel like now I've been talking about how he weaponized the Cosby show during 2016 and 2017. He was weaponizing it in the 80s. Sure. That was how he was getting the women yeah, yeah, to yeah. come and trust him so he could drug them and rape them. Yeah. Was by saying, I'm extremely successful. I'm very trustworthy on TV. Come with me to my, I'm married, but just come with me and I can help your career and yeah. I can do all this. Like, it isn't like he waited until 2016 to start weaponizing like, the Cosby show. It was yeah. always his weapon. Yeah. So do you need to watch this episode of the Cosby show to teach kids about illiteracy? Good fucking Christ. <laughs> oh yeah. I fucking forgot. No. This guy did this episode. Um, if you Please. really want to watch a good illiteracy episode, we should do it. The, um, my so-called why life why episode. Can't. Why can't Jordan read? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Chelsea, what did, we, what did we learn? Uh, didn't learn anything about illiteracy. Now I actually have more questions about illiteracy than I did before. Uh, these are the whole numbers thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> we unlearned things. I y'all. unlearned something. Oh, no. However, I did want to hug Claire Huxtable. Always want to hug Because want to hug Felicia Rashad really yeah. hard. I feel like this is a very special episode of hugging and learning. I think so too. Where we talk about our own feelings about nostalgia and what it means to love and be impacted by a show that then you kind of have to root out and and give up when you get older. Because I feel like we need to give as we can't give as much time as we gave to uh, rapist and predator Bill Cosby, but I feel like we should give some shout out to resources to report sexual abuse. Sure. The National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline is opened 24-7. They also have online chat if you don't want to call. The call-in number is 1-800-656-HOPE, and the website is rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org. They've been around for 25 years. They can connect you with a trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area, and they can help you to find counseling. They can help you to report. They can help you to get services, if you medical services, if you've been assaulted, if you just want to talk to somebody. They're always around. It is complete bullshit that sexual assault has a statute of limitations, yeah. but it does. And hopefully, if anything, if there's any silver lining besides that a predator's off the street to come out of this Bill Cosby thing, it's that women 
will feel less alone in yeah. reporting sexual assault because so many women came out of the woodwork Absolutely. who were constantly saying like, I thought it was just me or I thought it was just me and uh, it was my fault. And, and, and you know, and, yeah. and I think that a situation wherein we are able to seek justice from somebody who seemed untouchable yeah. up until that point is always, I mean, it's awful situation to have occurred, but the fact that, that man received justice. Yeah, a Harvey Weinstein too. There's actually Absolutely. there's actually a new documentary called Untouchable about the mm. fact that for decades it was like, well, no, nothing can t- nothing can bring him down, right. and then all of a sudden there was a critical mass of yeah. voices, Absolutely. and now he's a persona non grata. Absolutely. What are we uh, watching next week? Next week, let's uh, really shift gears. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll shift gears from this episode to an episode of The Facts of Life. Yep. This is dope. Uh, season one, episode 13. It's the season finale of season one. Yep. Which means it's got to be a great episode. I'm sure right? it's amazing. I'm sure it's We'll great. see you there. Absolutely. Bring snacks. Bye. Stole your catchphrase. Stole yours. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks. Okay. Yep. A N D Y. You ain't got no alibi. I'm Andy. Andy. Hey, hey, I'm Andy. That's our new intro. That's our new theme song. <laughs>